0: Welcome to the Hidden Why podcast episode 976, my interview with Rosalie Della We're talking about the alchemy of herbs and wild remedies. Enjoy. Hello, Rosalie. Welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. Great to have you here today.
1: I'm thrilled to be here, Lee. Thanks for having me.
0: It's going to be a pretty exciting conversation all about Herbs.
1: Oh, it's my favorite
0: topic. So <laughs> it looks like it. I was very curious, and then um, I started to read your bio and about your new book. You've got um, a book called Alchemy of Herbs come out, and I'm a passionate foodie. I love my probably my my second biggest occupation is is spending time in the kitchen cooking, um, and I really love getting in there and, and being creative with my food. I don't really follow recipes as such because I I don't know. I'm just not that sort of person. But I use a lot of herbs too in my cooking, and I and I think a lot of people out there do. And perhaps we don't know the, the, the intrinsic sort of benefits from herbs, but I guess they must make us feel good in some way because we keep adding them to our food, don't we?
1: Yeah, well, they're easy to love. They taste so yummy. And, you know, if you don't go beyond that, that's still, I think, plenty to fall in love with.
0: Yeah, no, it's fascinating. I love the book cover. It looks really cool. Um, lots of insight into, um, you know, obviously herbs and how we can incorporate it into our foods and, and then also the benefits of, of herbal medicine, I suppose. Do you call it medicine or...
1: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. herbal medicine.
0: Herbal medicine. So it's pretty fascinating sort of stuff. Let me just jump into your backstory and how you have fell in love with herbs.
1: Sure. Well, I kind of came in in a couple of different routes. One, um, I, in my early 20s, loved the idea of wild foods and foraging Mm. and, you know, being able to walk into the forest and find nourishment there. And so I had started going to a wilderness school, learning all about working with plants as well as kind of survival skills, that sort of thing. And it was while I was at that school that I came down with a very serious illness and I ended up being hospitalized. And after a while, I had a team of doctors and they diagnosed me with a rare autoimmune disease that was terminal. And they said, Mm. you know, like life is... Um, gonna, you have a declining quality of life from here on out and, you know, life expectancy Jeez. of around 40. Wow. Yeah. You know, as a 23 year old, it was sort of not the news you want to know.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. How did yeah, you feel so at that it, moment? Can you remember?
1: I remember feeling very, very afraid. And a lot of like, why me, you know, like, you know, definitely blindsided by that. And, um, and, but it, it I didn't stay there for very long. Hmm. Like I, I don't mean to sound this like, you know, like quip or anything, but like maybe three days I was like in a kind of like a state of shock and like fear. Christ. And after about three days, I, I remember I went, um, this is kind of like I don't know, it was early 2000. So not as much like connected to the internet as we are now. But I remember I, I went to the local public library and got set up with a, You know, internet access, and I just started ordering books about um, autoimmune disease and rheumatoid arthritis, which I did not have rheumatoid arthritis, but it was kind of related. And I just started searching for answers. And I was living in Seattle at the time, which Mm. has a very big community of alternative health, natural health practitioners. Started working with a lot of people, and I ended up taking a lot of herbs. And after six months, I was symptom-free. And that just, like, it blew my mind, you know, because in my mind, like, I mean, I was open to plant medicine before that, but I kind of thought it was, like, for boo-boos. Like, you know, you have, like, a little something you need help with. then you know, like, yeah, take an herbal remedy. And the, the fact that it, you know, like, I was given this death sentence and just had the door closed in my face. And then, you know, I went to, like... The quackadoodles and started taking herbs and got better. It was just like, wow. Mm. So total paradigm shift for me. And, Crazy. Um, I really like, I knew like it was very instantaneous for me that I wanted to be, um, I wanted to learn more and help others as well.
0: Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. What, what is the, um, I mean, when you get told that news, um, I couldn't imagine it really. Um, and that, that moment of shock and then walking away from that, um, you know, in search for answers, but was there, was there a feeling of freedom? Was there a feeling of something that, you know, you thought, oh, hang on, well, if this is how fickle life is a, a, a greater sense of purpose after that. Like, did you have any of those sort of experiences?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, I think that was really wanting to live a life of service and to help others because I felt so lucky that I didn't just kind of you know, say, oh, okay, this is it, I guess. Hmm. And, you know, I, I was able, you know, through systems of support and just, I guess my own like joie de vivre was able to reach out and, and find these other solutions. And I felt like there must be other people out there being told the same thing I was told. Um, and there's other help out there for them that they might not know about, which is not to say that like every terminal disease is curable, Um, But I feel like when it comes to a lot of chronic diseases, that kind of a more holistic approach and looking at the individual and really, you know, helping get at root causes is going to be a lot more effective than just saying there's no cure. You know, basically, Mm -hmm. like there's no pill for that. Like they didn't have the pill for my autoimmune disease. Um, They did give me steroids, but they said, you know, like these will only work for so long and then they won't work anymore and there's lots of horrible side effects. But that was all that they had for me. Um, that was the only solution. And then I went to these natural health practitioners and they had all sorts of solutions, you know, like they weren't like, oh, there's, you know, there's only one pill. It was kind of like, oh, let's let's look at this from a lot of different angles. So yeah, I did feel yeah. like a sense of...
0: I, I think know, like most stupid. medicines are like that, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're very much a band-aid solution, but they don't actually get to a root cause of a problem. And I guess that's where natural health remedies and things like that come into play. And it seems mm-hmm. to be talked about a lot more these days and I could be incorrect with that but that's just my perspective and maybe it's just because that's where my sort of attention sometimes lies as well because I, I don't have perfect health and I don't have perfect behaviors um, so I'm always looking for you know people like yourself the people that I can um, meet and, and hear from and, and other people that I can read about to you know try and hopefully create the better behaviors in life and, and create a more natural way of living. Mm-hmm. Um, going to your um, terminology of herb, I say herb and you say herb. Is there a mm-hmm. correct way we pronounce this word?
1: Um, well, I, you know, in the, I feel like the, the U.S. English will say herb, which is, I think comes from French. Like, you know, the French don't pronounce their herb.
0: H's and Yeah.
1: Um, but I, I love, I love the herb. That's great too. <laughs>
0: herb. <laughs> no, whenever I hear herb, I'm just like, oh, um, no, that's cool. Um, what... What? How do you become a herbalist? Uh, not herbologist, herbalist.
1: Well, there's a lot of different avenues, and there in the US, there's no certification for general herbalists. Like um, traditional Chinese medicine practitioners can become certified in that realm, but for a lot of us, it's kind of this. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of different ways to become an herbalist, but there's no certification, so there's nobody like really saying like this person is an herbalist and that person is not. One of my really and good is that because
0: it's not a recognized practice? Like you can't actually classify being a herbalist as as something that you can give professional advice around.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is.
0: That's pretty ridiculous, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, it is actually. Um, I know they have different. You know, it's like every country's different. You know, the UK they have more recognition. <laughs> Um, France, you know, they, they don't really, they don't really like herbalists over there. Lots of herbalists there, but there's really even less recognition there. So it, you know, it Mm. does, it does vary. Um, but yeah, I was going to say like one of my good friends, Jim McDonald, he says, if you, if you use herbs for health, then you are an herbalist. So it it can be very all encompassing. Mm. Um, for, for myself, I went to about all combined about eight years of school. Um, To study herbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eight years.
0: That's a lot of studying of herbs.
1: Yeah, I can be kind of obsessive when it comes to learning. So I enjoyed every minute. Of so, what it. does that
0: look it like? Like, what is eight years learn. of learning? I mean, you don't go to university, mm-hmm. then you just go to what? Where do you go? Uh,
1: so, I went to different schools. I did um ethnobotany an ethnobotany apprenticeship for three years. So, that was learning a lot of hands on in the field, botany, wow. actually working with the plants. So, being able to harvest the plants in the wild and bring them home and make food and medicine out of them. And then I studied traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda at a four-year school. And then my um, mentor was an Ayurveda specialist and I did my clinical training with him. So it was a lot of like one-on-one mentorship and he would review my case studies with me and help, you know, help me come up with plans in the beginning um, I just also took a lot of new kind of herbal based nutrition classes as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of different aspects to herbalism. Sometimes people only study Chinese medicine and they don't study the plants that grow around them, or sometimes people only study the plants that grow around them and aren't familiar with other systems of herbal medicine. So, um, which is, you know, we all follow our passions. I was kind of, I just wanted to learn it all. So, yeah. <laughs> I and mean, I'm still doing that. Yeah, and you're still I'm learning. learning but, yeah. You know, you're never bored. There's always more to learn.
0: There's a guy that lives here locally where I am and um, that's certainly his, his practice as well. And he seems to be, I haven't really talked to him in depth about herbs, but um, certainly that seems to be his his niche and he's, he's been doing it for many, many years and providing natural remedies um, to, to people in, in various forms. Is there, is there much science behind it now to back up, um, you know, other than, hey, take this and it'll make you feel good. And, and we know it does because it has, has helped us and other people that have done the same is there science to back up this sort of stuff?
1: There is so much research. And I feel like that can sometimes be a myth about herbs as people think, like I'll just see people mention that sometimes, like there's no scientific proof, but that's actually not true. There is so much research. And in my first book, Alchemy of Herbs, I think I have over 250 studies cited in there. Wow. My second book, Wild Remedies, um, has over 200. And I – I'm very particular about the research I look at and cite. That I'm really looking for human clinical trials that are really well designed. And then, less commonly, I'll look at in vitro research, which is you know kind of like lab-based research in petri dishes, so to speak. Um, and sometimes that can be interesting, but that's not as you know not as um, insightful to see what happens in a petri dish as what like actually happens in a human clinical trial. So hmm. there are definitely human clinical trials out there and uh, lots of scientific research
0: it's incredibly uh, and it's it's it must be so diverse but i mean if we f- if we go sort of on a macro perspective are we just talking about herbs as in the leaves and all that sort of stuff or herbs and spices is there a difference
1: <laughs> that's a good question now Herbalists, we often like bunch it all together. So it's like, hmm. yeah, like you said, the leaves and herbaceous things that might die back and then the spices and roots. And some of us will even call medicinal mushrooms herbs, so, okay. which I think is kind of like a bad habit because that's definitely pushing the envelope there a little bit. But um, yeah, it's kind of all encompassing of like basically medicinal plants.
0: Okay. And if we look at this from a macro perspective, is there a reason why herbs and spices are um, Help, Like, is there an overall reason why they're, they're good for us? Does That's that make really sense?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because like, I,
0: I know, yeah. I, like, if we go to an individual like like chili or, or um, thyme or something like that, I'm sure they're individually, they're, they're good for specific things and have their reasons for it. But as a holistic sort of macro perspective. Mm-hmm. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think there's actually a lot of different ways of looking at that. One can be what's if we look at if we think about it from a constituents level of like what is in that plant exactly, then we can talk about secondary metabolites. And these are constituents that the plant creates as a way to protect themselves. So like you mentioned thyme, thyme has a lot of secondary metabolites that ward off disease. I mean, most of them are for like warding what's off What's a metabolite?
0: Like, what's a Sorry?
1: Um, secondary metabolites. So like the they consider them like chemicals that don't directly result in the growth of the plant, but that help to in some way benefit the plant. Right. And so with time, or with so many, that there's a lot of them that's like, like if an insect came chomping along the plant, then the plant would produce this chemical. That would ward off that insect, or it could be like a fungal disease, or whatever. Hmm. And so, those uh, secondary metabolites, as they're called, are often what we're benefiting from. And what's interesting too is that it's not just like it's not just like we take a plant and then that plant is like a sledgehammer that just like does its will within our body. It's often how our body reacts to the plant and so it's this interesting dance between the two and mm. a really great way to just think about this for ourselves is think about having a lot of spicy foods like a spicy chili cayenne chili mm. um, something that's really hot and spicy So you think about we have you know we have that sensation i'm sure we've all experienced that and often what happens if something's really spicy is we start to leak right like maybe well like tear up if it's really hot or mm. just our sinuses, maybe lung congestion, you will know, start producing mucus that'll start running. So we have that, like, that's like what our, our body is reacting to that chili and creating that effect, which when we're eating it just for fun, I mean, there, there can be an endorphin rush that often happens with those spicy chilies. So it, it could just be food and, you know, that sort of thing. But if we have a stuffy nose, or lung congestion, eating something spicy like that can help thin that congestion and help us feel better. So, you know, you can think of it as like a, you know, a natural, um, decongestion in that way.
0: Mm. Yeah. I love spicy food. Um, I've got a question about that too. So when we look at these, um, what did you call them? The secondary, um, metabolites metabolites when you look at those so if they're if there's something that's a ward off you know you know um, bugs or whatever from eating them does that mean these metabolites potentially are, are not good for us and the reason why they become good for us is because our system sort of fights again them, against them and that in some hmm. way strengthens our immunity
1: hmm. that's a really insightful question and i think in some ways it's you know, we're beginning to understand that a little bit more. Like I was just recently reading an article about antioxidants and, you know, there's been lots of things in the news lately about beneficial antioxidants. And one of the things that they've come to realize is that the reason antioxidants seem to be beneficial for us is that they kind of stress us a little bit. Hmm. And so they create this reaction in our body that, because of this minor stress, you know, our body then reaches back with a positive thing. Um, so it is kind of an interesting way of thinking about it as there is this kind of push, pull, and dance going on. Mm. It's kind of like it's like building muscle, right? If you like lift weights, then you know, you're actually kind of like you know tearing like your muscle, your, yeah. Yeah, your muscle is kind of stressing a bit but then through that action of stressing it you and if you do that regularly over time you build muscle so yeah kind of a similar thing with some plants uh that where they are kind of stressing our system in a little bit that creates this actual you know beneficial reaction
0: yeah okay so when you look at herbs and spices and do you look at them as as how we digest them or do you also look at them as how we apply them externally maybe to our skin or something like that or smell you know things like that is it a mix yeah I'll- yeah. yeah,
1: absolutely all of that, you know, the okay. interesting studies out there showing that just smelling something like lavender or rose is really beneficial to our nervous systems. Hmm. Our bodies can absorb a lot of things so applied topically whether it's like a foot or hand bath or something that we absorb through water or something like a, you know, a, a poultice on our skin. That's all beneficial, and then yes, of course, when, uh, certainly what we take in as well.
0: So when when because I've just been looking into to the gut health, I've had someone on the show recently about gut health. I've read a book about gut health, and man, it's it's just overwhelming. Um, mm. And 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 when I read that book, I was looking at the foods that they suggested you can eat and the foods that you should avoid. And there's there's certainly um, herbs in the in the book that they say don't eat, like chili which I was a bit surprised with. But I mean, do you look in, you must look into the field of gut health and and how these herbs play a part?
1: Absolutely. In fact, I feel as like my own opinion as an herbalist on this is I feel like herbs are often a big missing component of reestablishing gut health because herbs Hmm. can be so incredibly healing to the entire digestive system. And so often, I mean, it's not obviously foods have their own place within the gut, you know, healing the gut too, with the foods we choose to eat, the foods we don't choose to eat. But that's mm. often where the conversation is. And then there's not a lot of conversation about what can we do to actually like heal those tissues in the gut. And there's a lot of plants that can do that, whether and there's so many ways of thinking of that, whether it's like healing digestive ulcers or... Um, Looking at intestinal permeability and leaky gut, and how herbs can help restore the function of Mm. the villi and the intestine. So, I mean, it just goes on and on. And then there's the kind of energetic aspect of digestion too, which is something that is more common in Chinese medicine and Ayurveda and some traditional Western energetic herbalism as well, where we're looking at like, does somebody have cold digestion or hot digestion, Mm. and how use herbs to help them with one or the other Uh, so that's kind of another area of exploration and we were talking about like how plants might like our bodies might react to plants as kind of a challenge and there's a whole classification of herbs called bitters and these bitter herbs are they're kind of the gold standard for digestion in that they do kind of challenge our digestion and get it to rev up and a lot of what, what is a couple of
0: these bitter herbs, like an example?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of them could be like um, gentian root is a very common one. Um, artichoke leaf is a wonderful bitter. Those are kind of like often the two that I use a lot for, mm. um, for bitter blends because they do have a pretty – um, intense bitter taste. And then we have more nutritive bitters like dandelion root and burdock root that aren't quite as bitter and have a lot of nutrients in them.
0: Hmm. Um, so so how, do, how does that help the digestive system?
1: Yeah. So um, so we like to say, that one like a common saying in the herbal world, is that a lot of digestive problems are due to bitter deficiency. And this idea that we just have a lot of us don't even eat bitter foods um, yeah, why well, would you? <laughs> yeah, why would you? Right. Um, so when we have, like, if you can imagine eating something bitter, and you know that might be a dandelion leaf, if you have experienced that, you know, there's we have some, you know, our, our, um, salad that has bitter leaves in it. Mm. Often, what happens that first taste when we have that first bitter taste in our mouth is we begin to salivate. And that's one of the first stages of digestion because that helps break down carbohydrates in our mouth. And then also even just the act of stimulating digestion then helps to create this whole cascade of events within the digestive system, such as increased uh, secretion of hydrochloric acid. There can be um, increased pancreatic enzymes, the bitter taste specifically stimulates bile to be produced and released, and bile, of course, being super necessary for digestion for things like fats. And all of this you know, then stimulates peristalsis, keeps things moving through the bowels. So bitters, it's like they, they stimulate the whole digestive process and keep, keep things moving. Some people think that bitters, the reason why we have this kind of challenge reaction to them, is because of historically bitter things can be poison. Mm. And so it can be like our defense mechanism against poison. Like, oh, there's something challenging coming down the hatch. We better rev up and make sure that we can neutralize it. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's one, one idea maybe behind bitters. Sometimes with plants, we don't always know how they work. <laughs>
0: that's interesting because my, my mom loves um, like rocket lettuce and some of these lettuce leaves that are just repulsive to eat. <laughs> and and mm. i can eat some of them the milder ones but some of the leaves i'm just like whoa it's it, it feels like poison you're right like when i eat it i'm just like oh um, there's something about this that's that i think is poison
1: we have, yeah we, that's definitely how we can interpret it and interesting thing about bitter taste itself is that people taste bitter differently so there's this idea of, of super tasters and for them, slightly bitter thing, like what could be slightly bitter to me could be intensely bitter to them. So there's that aspect. So you might have a lot of taste receptors for bitterness, which um, might create this, you know, like intense feeling about these bitter things. Another thing is that we can increase our tolerance to bitter. And that's something I see happen where I live in the Pacific Northwest, where the beer like the um, at the, you know, ale houses is getting like more and more and more bitter and uh with the india pale ales and stuff it'll go go Mm. to a brew pub and like it'll tell you the level of bitterness you know they mark that down for each of the the beers (laughs) and people like you know it's kind of like they start increasing their tolerance to bitter and it's just getting more and more bitter out
0: there that's interesting um when you say like eating those bitter things as i lived in japan for a while and when you'd eat sushi or just out to dinner, there was a few couple of foods that they seem to eat and they claim to have um, health benefits and, and digestive benefits. And mm-hmm. one was a, a shiso. I think it's a shiso leaf. Do you know that one?
1: I'm mildly familiar with that. I have a friend I know who loves shiso, but it, it I don't tastes, know. That one it very
0: tastes well. like a, a stink bug insect. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> I can tell it was your favorite.
0: <laughs> but I actually really did like it. Yeah, surprisingly, oh. like it had this smell and this taste that I could always, even before I ate it, I had this, this I knew what it was going to taste like. But they seemed to eat it around um, some of those carbohydrates, like rice or, or rice cake or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was the other one, which is daikon, white radish. You know, those big white radishes. Mm-hmm. And they'd eat mm-hmm. that with their, their food and say that it was helpful for digestive as well. Um, mm-hmm. and does that make sense to you? Like, do you, do you look?
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely,
0: yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Um What What are three of your favorite herbs?
1: Oh, I could choose three. I feel like whenever I choose favorites, I feel like all the other herbs are going to get jealous, but
0: yeah, we'll just keep it's it be
1: us, right? Now.
0: <laughs> but maybe you, you'd look at I guess, yeah, anyway, you just pick and we'll yeah. go from there. Yeah,
1: well... One, the first one that just immediately came to mind was hawthorn berries. And that's an herb that I wish more people knew about. What is it's it? One, hawthorn berries. They grow on a tree, hawthorn, hawthorn shrub. How do you spell that? I'm sorry, what was that? How
0: do you spell hawthorn?
1: Hawthorn. Yeah. Um, and that's in the botanical name is critagus. And there's several different species and yeah, grows commonly true. in temperate climates. Not sure if they have it in Australia, actually. How but, do you spell um, it? Oh, h a w t h o r n, popcorn. Okay. And we use all parts. We use the the leaves and the flowers, and they make wonderful medicine. And I I work with that a lot. And I particularly love the berries. And the berries come out uh, depending on the species, anyway, from October or August to October hmm. uh, here. And they are these deep red berries, and they are phenomenal for the heart. They're these, like, supreme heart protectors. And there's really cool studies. We know that historically to be the case. And then there's really great studies looking at the long-term effects of people regularly ingesting hawthorn berries and seeing how they protect people who don't have heart disease, how they can protect... um, People who may have be susceptible to heart disease, like people who might have beginning stages of insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes, but they're also been shown to help people who already have heart disease. So it's this like wonder, like this all-encompassing, wonderful supportive herb for the heart that most people can take safely. And I just think of how much heart disease is common in the Western world. Mm. And obviously there's a lot of other factors, right, in terms of lifestyle and um, you know other things so it's not like herbs come down and like make everything you know like they don't erase our lifestyle choices but they can be very supportive and helpful and so again thinking about all the the heart disease we have and I just think how much you know how much more supportive would it be for people if there if a lot of people were taking Hawthorne regularly
0: so this is just something that you would take regularly on a daily sort of basis
1: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's very it's very nourishing and it affects. So it's not like a. we wouldn't think of it as like a pharmaceutical drug of like something that like we take and then it has this severe effect on us that might alter us in one way or another. Instead, it's like a good way to think of it would be like food for our heart. (laughs) And so it's something that we do benefit from taking regularly every single day.
0: Hmm. And
1: you can take it as a capsule. You could take it as a tea. I, I our local hawthorns that we have, I love them dearly. They're called black hawthorns, and they have very dark berries. I like to infuse them into vinegar.
0: Mm-hmm. Makes
1: this brilliant ruby red vinegar, and then I, I just use that as like to make my own salad dressings. Makes a really wonderful vinegar-based drink. So like a vinegar, then add honey to it, and add that to sparkling water. It's this kind of slightly sweet and sour drink wow. that's very how refreshing. much vinegar. Uh, about a tablespoon 1 to 2 tablespoons depending on taste preference per cup of water
0: okay with a bit of honey okay
1: yeah well yeah and then a little bit of honey in that too and that is something that uh, I'll make about a gallon of that a year and we go through it every year it is so tasty and scrumptious and how, so how long do you infuse to... the berry
0: for with the vinegar
1: I'm sorry I didn't I how, how, that. how
0: long do you infuse the berry with the vinegar mm-hmm.
1: for about 4 weeks
0: hmm Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes, yeah, so that's a delicious way. You can, and I think I mentioned teas. Then people do all sorts of inventive things with Hawthorne too. You can make like a ketchup or some kind of condiment out of it. And um, so it really is like a nourishing food that has medicinal benefits That is, it's fun to have it. And I think we can all benefit from it, whether... You know, we we have heart disease or not it's kind of one of those like why not it's delicious and fun and, and very nourishing
0: that's interesting isn't it yeah i'll have to go down to my local herbalist and see if they've got the uh, hawthorn berry there yeah it's it's interesting how you can get creative with the foods too and, and do so many different things like drinks or, or like you said ketchups or sauces or yeah um i had a question on, on that herb anyway it's flipped me now <laughs> what's your next favorite
1: Next favorites, um, I'll go with chamomile. And chamomile is mm. an herb I feel like doesn't often get the respect it deserves. Um, I myself kind of would think that it was like this kind of weak herb that was for Peter Rabbit, but maybe not like a serious medicinal herb. And I've definitely come to change my tune on that one. Chamomile is wonderful at modulating inflammation, which I should say, hawthorn berry is also great at modulating inflammation, and that being a big problem within the Western world Mm. as well, again due to dietary lifestyle choices. But we also have natural inflammation happening in our lives, and even if we are doing lifestyle food choices that increase inflammation, herbs can still help us. You know, it's not one or the other.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So wonderful for modulating inflammation. You'd asked before about like taking herbs internally versus topically. And, and I love chamomile both topically and internally. It's incredibly relaxing. And we often say that a cup of chamomile tea is like getting a hug from a loved one. So I often think of it in times of tension and stress, and it does become this, like a friend you can curl up with a hot mug of tea and just relax and just even thinking about it helps my shoulders to drop down a little bit
0: do you just have chamomile tea or do you put anything else with it
1: uh i love straight up chamomile tea i'll i'll often make a blend too with other herbs um Hmm. the trick to a really good cup of chamomile tea though is one always to make sure you have really good chamomile yeah and Sometimes what's in a tea bag is not really great quality. No. Sometimes it is. It, you know, no. depends on the company and stuff. But more often than not, what's in the tea bag is not exceptional. So that's something to be aware of because I think that's maybe clouded my judgment for a while. Is maybe yeah, you know, clouded
0: mine stuff. too. Yeah, and I absolutely yeah. agree because I, I got this chamomile super... tea and I put one bag in the in the cup, and I'm just like it just tastes weak. So I always have to put two cup two bags in, and even then yeah. it doesn't really. I don't know, it doesn't pop, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, you want it to pop, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, so I've, like, the equivalent that I would put in a cup of tea is probably, like, five to seven tea bags. But I'm still talking about, like, vibrant. (laughs) You know, like, if you have crappy chamomile, no matter how much you use is not going to overcome that. So Mm. uh, you want to have really great chamomile. And you can tell it's great by the smell, how it looks and how it smells. So Mm. you want it to look vibrant, you know, like, you don't want it to look like, brown straw you want it to look like to have some color in there like white petals and those yellow centers and then you want it to smell really good you want it to smell strong and it has a sweet pleasing smell to it so you mm. want that if you're like sniffing that tea bag really hard and there's not a lot of smell coming off of it it's probably not great not chamomile.
0: how do you apply it topically
1: um so i have two ways that i love to use chamomile topically one is i infuse it into an oil and I'll use that as like a body massage oil. I Right now, I'm kind of obsessed with it. So I use it almost every single what, what's night. What's an oil? Um, I've been using jojoba oil, which is a fantastic carrier oil. But you can use any type of oil, hmm. like olive oil or apricot kernel oil. Um, basically, like any kind of mass- or oil that would be used in massage, you can use any of those.
0: Right. And How you, do you infuse it?
1: I, I crumble up the... Chamomile, so it's very small. Sometimes I'll put it like in a blender and just pulse it a little bit, not so it's powdered, but just so it's been it's really really yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. Then fill a jar halfway with the chamomile, and then fill the jar with the oil of your choosing. You want to give it a good stir. Maybe add a little bit more oil after that. Then put a lid on it. And again, it's about four weeks that you want to infuse it for. I keep it on my counter with um, a towel over it so it doesn't get a lot of light. But I like to keep it on my counter so I can shake it every day because that act of shaking it helps to
0: Infuse, extract yeah. the
1: herb into the oil.
0: Hmm.
1: And then about after about a month, I strain that off and use that as an oil. It's a great you know, face oil, body oil, and it smells so lovely. And because it is so relaxing, it's a nice thing to use. It's a nice ritual before going to bed to put this oil on. So that's a lovely way.
0: Is this how most oils are made that we could, we could make ourselves?
1: yeah yeah that's exactly how they're made yep really
0: so we could we could get cloves and put it in oil and have clove oil
1: yeah yeah absolutely is
0: there a particular oil that you what did you just say before what was the oil i
1: like jojoba oil which i think comes from the southwest deserts from here i'm not sure where else it grows in the world um i fell in love with it many years ago and since then it has like quadrupled in price it is very expensive now, which is unfortunate, but I, I still use it for my very special things. And, and But you don't have to use an expensive oil. What's, really that, what's, oil. A, what's
0: a budget oil that we could go with?
1: Yeah, um, almond oil can be nice, apricot kernel oil, grapeseed oil. All of those are light in nature. So you're know, like if you think of olive oil, olive oil can be pretty mm. greasy and heavy in nature. So... Like I don't really like to slather my body in olive oil because then it's just kind of like I feel super greasy. Whereas these oils really um, are easy to penetrate into the skin and they leave a soft feeling, not an oily feeling. But mm-hmm. you know, different people have different experiences of oils. So someone might you know love the feel of olive oil. Uh, so it can be a matter of finding what what feels good. Avocado oil is another one Avocado. that's light um, mm-hmm. and good budget one. Um, one I use a lot is the avocado oil as well.
0: It's interesting. So
1: yeah, a, a wonderful. I love oils. I use them all the time and think they're kind of underrated. Um, just, Absolutely. Protecting, yeah. you know, skin is, looks at the sun all the time and is such an important barrier. And I think the more we can do to nourish our skin, the better.
0: Well, it's quite a big industry too, at the moment with all the oil companies and, and people selling, you know, network marketing oil companies and that. Uh, well, so you
1: might be talking about essential oils, and essential oils are very different than infused oils. Hmm. Essential oils are a steam distillation of the plant, and that's kind of this whole other ballgame right. That yeah, all the the networking involved with it. So those are these super potent, you know, um, extracts that are done. People can do them at home, and people are increasingly able to do them at home. But they take a lot of specialized equipment and right. time, and a ton of plant material. Um, like you often need like bushels and bushels of plant material in order to make just a, a tiny bit of essential oil because it is that steam distillation process. So, yeah, it's a little bit a little bit different aspect of um, working with plants.
0: Could you put these oils in your bath?
1: Yeah. So the um the the other way I like working with chamomile is to make a super strong tea. So taking like several big handfuls of the dried chamomile and infusing that in just boiled water, uh, for like 20 minutes and then strain that off. And it will be this really dark yellow, super potent tea. Like you wouldn't want to drink it. It'd be too intense to drink. Uh, but then I put that in my bath water and that is profoundly relaxing. Like you've had a Hmm. stressful day at work. Um, you know, whatever fill in the blank has got you tense. It's also great. Um, chamomile doesn't only just affect our nervous system and help us to calm down in that way but it also relaxes muscle tension it's an antispasmodic or relaxing herb and so it's great for muscle tension sore muscles as well modulates inflammation i mean it just it's like the whole package Lee, it does so much i love chamomile wow yeah. so chamomile bath is lovely and then you can put the um the infused oil into your baths so i do that and it makes the you know water and skin sulky. Uh, for essential oils you want to dilute them in something else before you put them in because they don't um disperse in water so they can stay concentrated kind of like in little bubbles on the the water surface and that can be problematic depending on the type of essential oil
0: okay that's interesting um there's a lot in there now when you when you're selecting herbs is there a way you go about selecting quality herbs because i know there's you know we don't all grow herbs in our backyard. Mm -hmm. I assume you grow a lot of herbs yourself. Um, Yeah.
1: I would say like not yet. We don't grow that. We don't all grow them yet, but (laughs) yeah. um, Well, that, and speaking of like growing them in your backyard, I think the best way to get high quality herbs is the closer you can get to their origin, the better. And, you know, sometimes that's very possible and sometimes it's not. It's definitely a combination for me. Like I have herbs I get out of my garden, but I'm never going to be able to grow cinnamon. So I don't, you know, I'm not getting that close to the origin. So it depends on where we live and what we have available. Yeah. But the, the closer we are to the origin, the better, because that's a way that we can ascertain quality on multiple levels. One is even just how were those plants grown, you know, were they grown in a... A vibrant soil with, you know, that had, you know, they weren't sprayed with chemicals that they were grown in conditions that were really well suited to them. Were the people harvesting those plants treated with respect and paid well? How were they dried? How were they processed? Did people know what they were doing when they dried and processed them? Um, there's a book that was recently published called The Business of Botanicals by Dr. Anne Armbrecht, and she actually Uh, traced the the origins of all these plants and and she found that sometimes plants that are grown in other parts of the world and then shipped say to North America sometimes they change hands 15 times and not everyone involved in that is always like super keen on doing things in the best way so Mm. she kind of you know showed plants that were being kept like on the ground um or just you know, some practices that we wouldn't relish knowing like that's where our plants were. So if we have a closer connection to those origins, then that can help us know. And one of those ways is by buying herbs that are certified organic, because when they're organic, they have to be traced in a certain way. Um, and there's more accountability there. There's also fair wild certification that can be another certification that looks at wild crafted herbs, herbs that are gathered in the wild. And it helps trace them along the way. And there's just there's a higher standard of accountability and also practices that make sure that they are of good quality and they maintain that good quality through the process of getting them to our kitchens.
0: Mm, So it's kind of like
1: that behind the scenes aspect going. And then they are in our kitchen. It becomes all about our senses. So how do those herbs taste? How do they smell? Um, What do they look like? And over, you kind of develop a sense of that over time. But like I was saying with the chamomile, if you're like that, we know that's an aromatic plant that has a smell. So if you're really sniffing that and there's no smell or very little smell, it's a good indication it might not be the best quality. So while, while that is something you have to develop over time, you, you can easily develop it. It's just kind of like if you go to the grocery store, you're able to like figure out what produce looks good and what produce doesn't right over time. Like yeah, yeah. if the carrot is really like limp and isn't you know really crisp or whatever you know whatever if the salad is all wilted or whatever the case may be like we know like mm, can, that might not be best yeah best quality
0: that's a good point with um with the, the herbal medicines um there's obviously well like i assume there's there's ones that like chamomile you could have a cup of tea every night before bed um mm-hmm. but there's probably other ones that are very specific for certain illnesses um, as remedies um, that perhaps you only should take when you have that sort of symptom rather than all the time. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that is correct. Um, and some of that, you know, that we can tell by the taste, like we were talking about super bitter things, like we wouldn't, generally don't have things that are profoundly bitter in large quantities day in and day out. Because um, our body would even just tell us like, yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> That's yeah. too much. Hmm. Um, so yeah, there's both classifications. I I personally love the herbs. For, I get most excited about the herbs that help us. Maintain health and are fun to use. Like we're talking about having the Hawthorne vinegar or having chamomile bath. Like I love infusing herbs into my life in all sorts of different ways. Because I don't. For me, if I was like just swallowing capsules and that was like herbal, that was all herbal medicine was to me. I would get boring soon. I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so I yeah. Love like you know, hmm.
1: infusing that into my life in and out. So I love using the ones that are that are nourishing and that we can use as you know, food as medicine or just as, you know, a a way of improving our health in a joyful way. But there are definitely herbs that are, you know, may not be great for everyday use or have a more profound effect on our lives that push us in one way or another that we might not need
0: that. That's awesome. I love it. You've probably got lots more information in your books. now. You said your newest book, what was that called?
1: That's called Wild Remedies.
0: Wild Remedies. Because I've got the uh, the book here, Alchemy of Herbs. So that was your first one? hmm And yeah, then and Wild, the Wild Remedies. remedies. Okay. Yeah. And we can find them on Amazon, I assume? Yes. And you've, yep. you've got uh, a couple of websites too, which is herbswithrosalie.com and learningherbs.com?
1: Yep. Both of those are good. Herbs with Rosalie is my, um, my main site and I have lots of herbal monographs. You could read a ton more about Hawthorne and chamomile on there. Lots of recipes Um, I, I literally wake up every day thinking like, how do I get to work with herbs today? And how do I get to inspire others to do the same? So I love putting out information that's really practical and helps people, um, bring herbs into their life as well.
0: Great sense of purpose. Um, look, well, thank you for coming on, Rosalie. It's been an awesome chat about herbs today. Um, is there any final words or anything you want to say to the audience before we go?
1: Um, sure. You know, if somebody... I'm imagining some people listening maybe maybe already love herbs and maybe the idea of that is totally new to others. Um, but I often feel like the plants are out there and are grabbing our attention in one way or another, like we noticed the dandelion blooming or or we think about that cup of chamomile tea we had that really made a difference in our lives. So I would invite people to just pay attention, are herbs showing up in your life in some way? You know, Do, you're, do you love garlic? Are you fascinated with turmeric? Whatever it might be just to ex- keep exploring that further there's so many layers to getting to know herbs and so many health benefits from bringing them into our lives and i love when it can be based in inspiration and just something that's not like what we like i should take this but more of just like i love the taste of time i want to use it in my meals more and i want to explore more about how it can bring benefit to my life so i'll just put that out there that you know yeah. pay attention to herbs and and keep following them along
0: That's awesome. Thanks so much, Rose Lee, for coming on, guys. Check it out, thehiddenwire.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwide.com. Just enter your email address there and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwhy.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else really that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link, it helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out again at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there, breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose. And in doing so, you will discover your hidden white. This is the Hidden white. My name is Lee martin Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon.